I want to continue speaking on a topic we started a couple weeks ago, and we took a little break for some obvious reasons, or maybe some not-so-obvious reasons, but we did. But I want to talk about offense. I want to talk about what it means to be offended, how it means to deal with offense in a way that is honoring to God, and I want to talk about it in a uh, way today of uh, the topic today, or the title today, is Offense, Real or Imagined? And then is it worth it? Is it worth it? We're going to find ourselves being offended. It's going to happen. We talked about it the last time we talked about it, how Jesus said that in this life you will have many offenses. You will be offended. So today I want to talk about the categories that we find ourselves in. We will either find ourselves personally in an offense of imagination. I will be offended through my interpretation of what somebody meant or what something presented itself as. It will either be an imagined offense, one created by my own reading between the lines, so to speak, or I assume that was what was intended by what was said or done, or I will have the second category that we could find ourselves in is truly a real offense. I was really offended. I was really hurt, thus giving me a true cause to be offended. Maybe I've really been betrayed. Maybe you've really been betrayed by somebody or hurt by something or someone that you can really say, I am truly offended. And now you have the cause to take an offense. The question is, though, it doesn't make any difference, I don't believe, truly, is if it's an imagined offense or a real offense, do I have the right to stay offended? What's the benefit in staying offended? Is it worth it? We're going to find out that it really doesn't matter if the offense is imagined or real, that if it's not dealt with properly, if the offense is hung on to, it leads to spiritual death. <laughs> it really doesn't, ima- it doesn't matter if I legitimately am offended or if it's just in my imagination. And we're going to really see some interesting things as we talk throughout the day about that. We're going to see how God would have us react. We're also going to ask the question, if God's really in charge... And if his plan, if he has a plan or a dream for my life, can somebody else change it? Can God's dream for me be changed by you? Can I change your dream? Can I abolish it? Can I destroy it? Well, we're going to find out that no matter what's going on in your life or in the world, God, say it with me, God is still in control. God is still in control. No matter what's going on in life, we're going to find out that God is still in control even when life isn't. Even when everything in my life is spinning wildly, seemingly out of control, God is still in control. And we're going to find out some interesting things today. And we're going to do this, and we're, gonna, we're going to uncover some of these things as we talk about the life of Joseph. 
We're going to go back and we're going to talk about Joseph. And we're going to see here how we should react to both imagined and real causes for offense. And then we're also going to see how God shows himself to be in control even when life isn't. And I hope and I pray that as we go through this that we're going to see some um, better ways that God's equipping us and refining us to be more effective in the kingdom of God as well. Let's pray. Father, as we begin to dig into this today, I do pray that you, Holy Spirit, would lead this conversation. And every word that's spoken, I pray it would come from the throne room of heaven. Father, I know that many have been offended. I know that many of us still hang on to and deal with offense. Lord, help us not be, to be offended by this message. Help us to see this as a true chain breaker of offense in our life that we don't have to hang on to this. In fact, not only don't we have to hang on to it, but if there's life and new life restored as you break the chains, as we give you the authority to break the chains in our life of offense. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're probably all pretty familiar with the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors. It's a Bible story. It's something we learned in, in, in grade school or Sunday school. But there are many lessons we can learn from this as we discuss the issues of imagined offense and real legitimate reasons for offense and what it looks like as we choose to allow ourselves or not allow ourselves to be caught in this trap of Satan. Now, I want to go back and tell you that some of this information is coming from a book that I've, re that I've read by John Bevere, The Bait of Satan. I would recommend you go buy the book. It's an awesome book. He goes into great detail about how Satan uses offense to destroy Christians. It's a really good book. The end result of a poor choice is the same either way. The, the end result of a choice to receive an offense, whether it's from an imaginary offense or a real offense, the end result, if I choose to stay offended, is going to be the same consequence. And we're going to find out some really interesting things here as we go through this, I pray. So let's talk about Moses, uh, Joseph a little bit. Let's, let's, let's go in and, and hear the story. Let's set the background a little bit so we can understand why Joseph is a good example for us. Open your Bible to Genesis chapter 37. In fact, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the book of Genesis. So you can kind of hold your thumb there. But Genesis 37, the first four verses of that chapter, let's set the stage a little bit. Jacob, who is Joseph's father, who, by the way, is um, the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. So Joseph's great-grandfather is Abraham. Just so you know, that's that far back in the Old Testament. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Okay. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Belai 
and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, who is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, we all know that the brightly colored coat, or the coat of many colors, was a pretty significant thing, and the special attention to Joseph given by his fathers were pretty noticeable by his brothers. And that caused much controversy in the family, to say the least. But the coat and this love was just the beginning of the dissension between the brothers. Let's continue to read on and find out some more. Genesis chapter 37, verses 5 through 8. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Can you hate, and can you hate more than you hate? <laughs> How much can you hate? <laughs> he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood up upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. <laughs> His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So Joseph was digging a hole here. And we're going to find it literally. He was digging a hole. We see from this that Joseph probably did some things in his youthful ignorance that he probably shouldn't have done. Joseph is not a perfect person here. There's no person in the Bible that is a perfect person. Just so you understand that. When God gives us a dream or a vision about our future, you or I can get really excited about the dream that he gives me or the dream that God gives you. But if you go share that with somebody else and you're anticipating that they're going to be just as excited about it as you are, get ready because chances are they're not. <laughs> they're probably not going to appreciate your excitement for your future, especially if it puts them serving you. Maybe Joseph shouldn't have shared this right now. Maybe there are some things that maybe that God gives us that we shouldn't always share. That's going to take some discernment for us to understand that. Probably Joseph would have been better off if he didn't continue to kick the goad here or kick the dogs or kick his brothers, but he did. And, you know, in the case of Joseph's dreams, it's sad that often family can be the toughest critics to our dreams. Your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters can be the toughest critics. They were Jesus' toughest critics, weren't they? I mean, his brothers didn't believe in who he was. And Jesus was limited many times by the miracles he could do in his hometown because he was just the carpenter's son. There's something for us to learn here if we're looking to be taught that some things in our lives that God shows us are best if we keep them to ourselves. Why is that? Well, first of all, let me, let me ask the question, why do you feel it's necessary for you to share the dream God has given you? Sometimes we feel it's necessary to share the dream because it makes us look really good. Do you think that's why God gave you the dream? Do you think God gave you the dream to puff up you or to glorify him? 
So maybe we should look at the dreams that God gives us and hold them closely, kind of the way that Mary looked at Jesus. Remember what Mary said? that She pondered these things in her heart. Yeah. Some good wisdom there. That maybe those re- these revelations that the Lord gives me, maybe I need to ask the Lord, do you want me to share this? Is this to edify you and this body of believers right now? Or is it something that I just need to ponder in my heart because something's going to happen down the road that I'm going to have to know that this dream was from you? And it might give me the foundation, the solid foundation to stand on because I've been given a dream and I know you have your hand in my life and now I'm just going to wait for it to happen. I'm going to watch for it to happen. Yeah, we need to ask the Lord. The most important thing about this, though, is that we will find out that if the dream is given to you by God, that nobody, no thing can take it away from you. If God gives you a dream or a vision about your future, nobody can take it away from you. Did you hear that? Nobody can take it away from you. The sad thing is, is that we allow ourselves, we allow our own dreams to be stolen from us if we allow a past offense to take root or remain rooted in our life and it steals the dream. We can give up a dream because of our past and our past can ruin our future if we don't understand how we deal with the things that have happened to me in the past called offenses. And I can allow the dreams to be stolen from me because I hold the key. The key is I have to repent. I have to let go. I have to forgive. I cannot hold the offense. If I do, I will lose the dream. And we'll see what happened to Joseph. Speaking about offended, becoming offended. Now, let's talk about the brothers. The offense that the brothers had toward Joseph, was it legitimate? Was it a legitimate offense for them to be offended? Seriously, was the fact that Jacob, their father, loved Joseph a little bit more than them, was that worth it? And the coat, I mean, come on, it's just a coat. Do you think it was really worth it? And, and the dream that he had, for them it wasn't even real. It was just Joseph's dream. Was there really anything there significant enough for them to be offended to do the things that they did to their brother? Remember, as we read the story, that they were going to kill him. They were going to um, kill Joseph. I mean, literally, they were going to kill him. Pretty serious to kill your brother. And then dip his coat in blood and then take it back to their father. And one of the, one of the brothers, as you, you can go back and read it in, in Genesis 37. You can read the whole account. But one of his brothers said, no, let's not kill him. He didn't want to kill Joseph. Let's just put him in his hole. Let's put him in his pit. So they dug a hole or pit. There was a, a dry well there. And they threw him in a pit. So he was trying to buy some time. And while he was gone trying to buy some time, his other brothers saw this caravan coming, these traders going on their way to Egypt, and they said, hey, let's make some money off them. Let's not just kill them. Let's make some money. So they sold Joseph for 20 shekels of silver. I don't know how much a shekel is exactly, but it was enough that they could go to the party store. Right? So they sold Joseph, and when the brother came back, they said, well, what, where's Joseph? He said, well, we sold him. What? You sold him? Now what are we going to do? Now they, now they got a problem. 
really got a problem because now they really got to come through on this thing. Let's read Genesis 37, 17. Let's, let's hear what the brothers, let's hear what their motive was. 37, verses 17 through 20. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But when they saw him at a distance, before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. <laughs> we'll destroy that. We'll destroy his dreams. So we hear what they did. They did it. They, they didn't kill him. They sold him. And as a result of their offense, they felt justified to destroy the dream that Joseph had. They, they felt justified in their own right. See, a, a person that holds an offense always will feel justified. Somehow we will deceive ourselves always to be justified in our offense. I'm right in holding it. Whether it's real or imagined, it's my right, and nobody's going to take my rights away from me. So they dipped his robe in blood and took it back to their father. Continue reading verse 32 with me of chapter 37. So they took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. What a bunch of liars. He recognized it and he said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. The brothers allowed an imaginary offense to become so real that they committed such an evil atrocity as to sell their brother, lie to their father, and cause his fa their father great, great grief. Maybe for a while they felt good about it. Maybe for a while they felt revenged. Maybe for a while they said, yeah, Joseph finally got what's coming for him, the little scoundrel. But what we're going to see here is that one wrong action requires many other wrong actions to continue to substantiate the first wrong action. You know the old adage is, two wrongs never make a right? You ever heard that? I used to hate it when my dad would tell me that because he was so right in it, but he was... And an imaginary offense, listen to this, an imaginary offense always includes untruth. An imaginary offense always includes a lie. And it will always require a lie or a series of lies to keep this imaginary offense in the state of an imaginary offense. It will always make it real enough to you that you will believe it. Somehow, the brothers needed to be justified in their evil behavior, so they had to lie about it. And we're going to see a little later that evil done in the name of offense will be found out, and there will be a price to pay. There are always consequences to actions. But thinking about lies, they had to lie about their brother, they had to lie about what happened to him. And how many times did they have to continue to lie to their father over the next number of years? It required numerous continued lies to stay deceived, to stay in this issue of offense. 
Okay, let's talk about legitimate reasons now to be offended. We, I think we can say that they really didn't have legitimate. Their, their reasons for offense truly weren't legitimate. They, they were exaggerated. Let's talk about what it means to be really offended. We're going to see how weak and how insignificant most imagined offenses are when we look at what a real offense really is. And yet, how devastating the consequences are to an imagined offense as we go through the story here. So let's look at Joseph for a minute. The first offense that Joseph could have taken would have been with his brothers. Was that a legitimate offense? <laughs> Being sold by your brothers, would that, is, it, is that a legitimate way to feel betrayed? <laughs> could, Joseph been, could he have been justified in saying, I'm going to be offended by them? Yeah, but here's the deal. Just because you have a legitimate reason to be offended doesn't require you to take the bait of being offended. Just because it's legitimate now, you truly have been betrayed. Just because you truly are offended doesn't give you the right or doesn't justify it to be offended. Skipping ahead, we all know the story. Joseph was sold into slavery. He ended up in the house of Potiphar, the captain of the guard one of Pharaoh's officials, and Joseph made the best out of a bad situation. I mean, he, he could have chosen a whole different attitude here. He could have been really uh, miserable. He could have been really a bad servant. Remember now, he was sold as a slave in a foreign land. He was a Hebrew slave in an Egyptian land. He had no rights. His parents, his family didn't even know where he was. His brothers had no idea what happened to him. He, he think, his father thinks he's dead. Joseph is in a bad strait. He's in a bad place. But Joseph didn't take a bad attitude about it. Joseph worked hard for Potiphar, and he was honest for Potiphar, and God saw his heart in all this, and God blessed Joseph while Joseph was in a bad place. While Joseph legitimately had a reason to be offended, because Joseph didn't take the offense, God blessed him. Amazing, isn't it, to think that we can be blessed in a bad situation? Your life can be all messed up. If you choose not to take the offense of the mess, God can bless you in the middle of a mess. I'll take that. Yeah. Going through for the chapter 39, Joseph gained success. He gained the trust of Potiphar, and things were good for Joseph. All right? And then some other things happened. 39, chapter 39, 6 through 9. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. What a life that Potiphar had. <laughs> what an awesome thing. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? <laughs> Good old Potiphar's wife. How many times have you been seduced by something in life that appears good? I'll bet you she was beautiful. Probably being the wife of Potiphar probably was a, a, a real special honor. So she probably was a beautiful woman. 
And Joseph had probably great temptation, or he would have been very justified in that because it was her idea. He's just going along with it. Come on, how many things in life have you been tempted with that are good ideas that you're just going along with? But yet we see by Joseph's reaction, he's saying, no, I don't care how good it looks. It's not right. God has given me all these blessings with my life, and the last thing I'm going to do is ruin it over, over a fling, over something of such a short duration. Because you know that we've got to know by our own life how quickly do we get bored sometimes with the things we settle for. That seems so good at the moment. I have to have it. As soon as I get it, it loses its luster. And then I'm regretting the fact that I ever did it in the first place. So I think we can see that. But Potiphar's wife came, tried to, tried to seduce Joseph. And Joseph was 100% pure in this, man. He did not waver a bit. He did everything right. And what happened to him? He ran. He, he fled from the offense or from the potential offense, she ripped off his robe, and she cried rape. Rape! He raped me, so now the guards come running in, and she's saying, Joseph tried to rape me. So now Joseph is falsely accused. Again, does he have opportunity to be legitimately offended? He got thrown into the prison. This is the king's prison. Now, again, remember who Joseph is. Joseph is a slave. He's a Hebrew slave in an Egyptian prison with no rights at all. Joseph really didn't believe he would ever see the day of light again. He went in thinking that this was, a good, this was it. I got to imagine, I can only imagine the feelings of betrayal and hurt that Joseph must have had again in his life. One more time, did everything right. But he chose not to allow that to be an offense, even though it was legitimate. And he chose to stay, to stay pure before the Lord. He's in prison now. We don't know exactly how long he was in prison for being falsely accused of doing something he didn't do, but it was a long time. It was a few years. Think about that for a minute. We'll talk about that a little bit more. He was then there a, a long time, and finally, these other guys come in, the king's cupbearer and the chief baker were thrown into prison because they offended the king somehow, some way, and the, prison, the, the king threw them into prison. And they're there, and again, Joseph has developed a relationship with these guys. And you know, it's amazing in that if you go back and read the story, even in such a terrible place called prison, Joseph gained favor of the prison guard. <laughs> Again, Joseph's integrity rose above the situation and he gained favor in a terrible, terrible place. Anyway, the cupbearers came to him and the, uh, the, the, um, um, the who was it? The baker. The baker, and it sounds like uh, that little nursery rhyme. They had a dream one night, and they didn't know what to do with the dream, so we know the story. Joseph interpreted the dream, and the baker um, was going to be killed. So he was released three days later, and sure enough, the baker was killed. Dream came true. That's what Joseph said. Not a very good dream to have, but he had it. The cupbearer, on the other hand, was the dream was that he was going to be set free and he was going to go back into the king's service, and that's exactly what happened. So Joseph said, hey, when you get back to the king's service, would you remember me that I did this for you? And the, and the guy said, sure, no problem. He forgot all about him. For two years, Joseph's still in the prison. Finally, Pharaoh had a dream that no one could interpret it. 
And the cupbearer remembered, finally, after two years, he remembered Joseph, how Joseph had interpreted the dream. So he told Pharaoh. So Pharaoh said, bring him out. So they gave uh, Joseph a new set of clothes, and he went in and shaved, and he took a shower, and he presented himself to, before the king, or the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh gave him the dream. And we all know that, that Joseph interpreted the dream properly, about seven years of famine, and seven, or seven years of harvest, and seven years of famine. So as a result of that, Pharaoh then put Joseph in charge again. Genesis 41, 41 through 44. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot and his second, as his second in command of all of Egypt. And the people shouted before him, Make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Verse 46 says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, we just read a few minutes ago that he was 17 when his brother sold him. So it's 13 years, okay, have happened of Joseph's ups and downs in Egypt. Extreme ups, extreme lows, and all the time, Joseph was consistent. Joseph was steady. He was right there. He was a godly man. So we know that under Joseph's care, Egypt prepared wisely during the seven years of harvest. And so when the famine came on the whole land, Egypt was prepared. Now, let's go back to the brothers. Let's go back now to the land of Canaan. What's going on there? Okay, this is 13 years plus seven. So this is 20 years later now because Joseph was 13 years and then seven years of, of harvest. So 20 years later, eventually the food runs out and Jacob tells his sons to go to Egypt and buy food because all the food in Canaan was gone. So Jacob sends his ten brothers, or his ten sons, all besides Benjamin. Benjamin was a younger son than Joseph, which was also a favorite of Jacob. And he sends the ten brothers to Egypt. And this is where the story gets really interesting because we're going to, have an we're going to see an opportunity here for Joseph to get a major payback on his brothers. I mean, this would be a great Hollywood movie right now because they could really dramatize this into really being something cool to watch because Joseph is going to have an opportunity to get back at his brothers, right? Genesis chapter 42. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold the grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Now, the brothers have no idea who they're standing before right now. And why would they, quite honestly? Why would they? they why would they even think that Joseph would be the second in command of Egypt? I mean, they have no idea what happened to him. They wouldn't even consider why would they would never even imagine Joseph being the governor of Egypt? Verse 8, although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered his dreams about them, and he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. Now, let's think about this for a minute. I wonder. Wonder with me for a few minutes. We're going to go beyond 12 o'clock, just so you know that, because we've got to continue on with this. But uh, I wonder with me for a few minutes, do you think that Joseph ever thought about his dreams while he, while he was 
sold by his brothers in the cistern? Do you think he thought about it? Do you think he ever sold his, taught about his dreams when he was living as a slave to Potiphar? Do you think he ever thought about his dreams while he was in prison again to die? What about this dream he had? Do you think he ever remembered them? See, the dreams that God may give you in your life, let me encourage you, don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Don't forget about them. I don't care how hard the situation is around you or how long it's been since you had the dream. Be patient. Don't allow offense to set into those that might, it's set into you that might in some way impact or hinder the dream, the vision. How easy it would have been for Joseph to get up believing, give up believing in the dream that God gave to him over 20 years ago. 20 years ago was the dream. Wow. All right. Let's continue reading. And this is how you will be tested, Joseph says. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. Or if you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. So Joseph is playing the scenario out here a little bit. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. (laughs) What I find so cool here is that this is 20 years later. They have no idea who Joseph is. They have no idea who they're standing before. So why in the world would Joseph ever come up now to them? You got to know that they have been haunted for 20 years because of the bad choice they made because of an imaginary offense. This was not the first time they ever thought about Joseph. Because you got to, I can only imagine the nightmares these guys must have had. I can only imagine the, the guilt that they had to cover up time after time after time because of this imaginary offense that they had that, that, that caused them to sell their brother. This was not the first time they had to talk, they, they thought about Joseph because why else would it come up here? Seriously, why else would they think about this? The ghost of, of Joseph is haunting these guys. Living in the consequences of offense is not a fun place to live. It's not fun to hold on to an offense. The consequences of the offense are just beginning, in all honesty. And we're going to see how big the consequences can become of something that really was so insignificant at the beginning. They didn't have a legitimate reason to be offended, but yet the consequences keep building and building and building. After, after of a, a number of other events, Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers. Okay, they did, You go back and read it. it. It takes too much time to read it in a service, but go back and read the story. Finally, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 4. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his, before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. 
Is my, father, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. <laughs> what a bombshell. Can you imagine what they felt like? Could you imagine there must have been a pin drop They were terrified. Why were they terrified? What do you think they thought Joseph's response was going to be? They were terrified at the thought that their brother had the right to kill them right then and there. I'm sure that they thought they were dead men. I'm sure that they thought, wow, based upon how what we did to Joseph unjustifiably We've given him great reason to chop our heads off right now, and it's over with. i got to believe these guys were really, really scared. Do you think maybe that they realized then and there that how stupid they were to be offended over such a little event 20 years ago and how they wish they wouldn't have done it? <laughs> oh, Joseph, we really didn't mean to do that. <laughs> what do you think they're thinking? This is crazy. But what did Joseph do? Joseph packed them a travel package and he sent them back to Canaan to get their rest of their father and the rest of the family to bring them to live in Egypt where there was food and good lands to live in. So after all the fear, Joseph finally says, guys, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to send you back. And you know the story. They went back and once had to get their brother Benjamin, came back and did some more stuff and all that, all that stuff. But, the fact, but, the, but what happens here is that Joseph isn't mad at them. They're going, whew. Man, we escaped a big one there, didn't we? All right. Sounds great. But verse, chapter 45, verses 24. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Hey, guys, don't quarrel on the way. Now, what do you think they're going to fight about? They're going to have to go back. What, the, what these guys are realizing now is that they've got to go back and tell their father that Joseph is still alive. Don't you think that caused a little consternation in them a little bit? To think they've got to go back now and tell Dad, hey, Dad, remember what we said to you about Joseph being dead? We lied, Dad. Wow. Joseph realized that. He says, guys, don't fight. <laughs> don't fight along the way. So they went up out of Egypt, 25, and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. <laughs> Who do you think told them? Who do you think of the ten brothers? How do you think they said it? Can you imagine it? How would you tell your father that what you did 20 years ago was a lie and that your brother is still alive? Even though we know the end of the story is great and that Jacob gets to see Joseph again, we have to recognize the impact that this consequence of this imagined offense was always going to be there between Jacob and the boys. And these boys, by the way, ended up being the ten tribes of Israel. Just so you know. They were the ten tribes of Israel that go fast forward to 400 years plus, and these are the guys that Moses is leading out of Egypt. 
undealt with offense and all the evil actions that follow will always be found out in the end. Just so you know that. Here these guys thought they got away with a big one from Joseph only to have to go back and talk to their father. It wasn't a fun thing to do. It wasn't a pleasant thing to do. Numbers 32, 23 tells us, if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord and you may be sure your sin will find you out. Our sins will never be buried long enough that God will not see them. Just so you know that. If I, fail to, if I fail to obey the Lord in any area of my life, don't think for a minute that you will escape God's justice system. You will give an account for everything that you say and do. The advice here is to ask for forgiveness now while you have the chance. Thank the Lord we serve a God that is still in control of every situation now. We asked that in a, at the beginning. Does, is God still in control of everything? Well, let's go back to Joseph. Do you think Joseph felt that God was in control in all of his life? What about the time he was in a cistern? What about the time he was in the prison? What about the time he was falsely accused? I think Joseph is a man like me, and a man like me doubts. I don't think Joseph believed that all the time. Come on, let's just be honest here. I think we can look at Joseph being a real person here. I think he was questioning, God, where are you? Look at, the, look at the book of Psalms. How many psalmists cried out to God, where are you, God? You're leaving, you've abandoned me. So I'm just saying here, guys, that don't feel condemned when you feel God has left you, even though God hasn't left you. The end of the story is, no, God didn't leave Joseph. No, God was in control of everything that happened in Joseph's life. And in fact, there probably was some things that had to happen in Joseph's life so that Joseph could be trained and, 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 and molded so that he could be trusted being second in command in Egypt. So the bad things that happened to Joseph, as bad as they were, it wasn't because God was out of control and Joseph had lost it. No, it was because God was pruning him and God was training him and God was taking out all the stuff in Joseph's life that wasn't good because there was some stuff in Joseph's life that probably wasn't good that had to be taken out, just like there's stuff in my life that's not good, stuff in your life that's not good that's got to be taken out before God can use you mightily. So here it is. I can choose to be offended at God I can choose to be angry at God. I can, be, I can choose to say, God, where are you? You gave me this dream 20 years ago. You haven't come through on me. I guess I'm giving up on you, God. Because I got to tell you that if Joseph would have done that while he was in the pit of the, of the, of the, uh, the prison, God would have left him there to rot. If Joseph would have really given up on God, God never would have got him out of the prison because God was using that opportunity to fine-tune him to take off the rough edges and Joseph was a man of integrity enough to trust God. And that's our encouragement today. Can you be a man or a woman enough to trust God in everything so that you are not offended by God or offended by God's people? James Brevere says this, Joseph had very limited freedom in his life, but he still had the right to choose his response to all that had happened to him. Would he become offended and bitter toward his brothers and eventually God? Would he give up all hope of the promises, fulfillment, robbing himself of his last incentive to live? It's his choice. 
So many times we can do that. So many times we can blame somebody else. If it wasn't for my wife, if it wasn't for my parents, if it wasn't for my boss at work, if it wasn't for the people at church, if it wasn't for the worship leader not singing the songs that I like, if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for that. See, we can have all kinds of reasons why I can't be who God has called me to be if I choose to lose the dream. It's my choice. It's your choice. No man, woman, child, or even the devil himself can keep you from remaining, from remaining in the will of God and accomplishing everything he has for you if you remain free from offense. If you remain free from offense, nothing can stop you from accomplishing everything that God has for you. Is God still in control? Yes, absolutely. God is still in control. Jackie, if you would come. See, Joseph had every opportunity to become offended and bitter against God in the prison of Egypt. And if he would have, God would have left them there. But yet, he recognized that God was God and he was Joseph. And when I recognize that God is God and I am Mike, God is God and you are who you are. And don't put yourself above who you should be and just recognize God's sovereignty and God's got everything in control and he's going to take this situation that you don't like and he's going to work it into something that's going to be good for you and that he's got this all underway and you're just putting your eyes on heaven and you're focusing heavenward and you're just saying, God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I don't care what the situations are. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to pursue you and I'm not going to let the devil give me an offense and I'm not going to take the bait and I'm going to forgive With that, it's a promise. It's a promise of fulfillment. It's a promise of blessing. Joseph, when he first revealed to his brothers who he was, he get it. He got it. He finally got it. Verses five through eight of chapter forty-five. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourself for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no more plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to, pre to, persevere, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. <laughs> this is so awesome. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Listen. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So many times we take it out on the people. Can I just say don't do that anymore? Don't do that anymore. It's not worth it. They're not your problem. And it was only for the fact that Joseph chose not to be offended by his brothers did he see the fulfillment of what God did. He could have thwarted it. He could have stopped it at any time. And here's the thing. So can you and I. I can stop it at any time. I can stop God's plan for me by any time because I focus on the people and not focus on God. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name and I ask you, Father, to reveal to us now what you would have us to get out of this message. Holy Spirit, would you be the, the revealer? Would you be the teacher here? Take the words that were said and somehow make them spiritual enough that, that, that break through the bonds of my life. If I'm offended, 
by anything, by anyone, would I recognize that it's not worth it to hold on to it. Whether it's real or imagined, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference. Can I forgive? Can I release? Can I pray blessing on the lives of my enemies? Can I pray blessings on the lives of those people that you created, that you love? Can I bless them and not curse them? Father, forgive me. Forgive us all, Father, for the times that we haven't done that. This morning, I would encourage you to inventory your life. If there's some things you need to take care of, I encourage you, while the day is still day, to do that. I'm not sure how to end the service today. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm, not, I'm really not going to end it with an altar call because it's more than an altar call. <laughs> it's more than just saying it here in this church. You've got to live it, folks. You've got to go out of this church. You've got to go out of these doors today and live it. You can come up here and confess it. But if you don't live it out there, it's no, no value here. So as you go to your homes today, as you go to your places of wherever you live, I pray God's blessing on you. I pray the Holy Spirit's conviction on you and me that we would be convicted until the point of time that we take care of what we've got to take care of because there's all offense It's been rampant in this church for years. There's been a spirit of offense in this church for years, and we're breaking it. We're breaking it in the name of Jesus. We're come against that spirit of offense, and we break it. And we say, Father, deliver us. Deliver us. Forgive us for the times that we've held things against people that we had no right to hold against. Forgive us. Free us. Break the chains of offense. Give us a new beginning. Give us a new day. Give us a new life, Lord, pleasing to you that we can live in harmony with each other and love each other and unity with each other. In the name of Jesus, I declare it to be done in Jesus' name.